0: Hello everyone. Welcome to Recast and I'm your host, Saurabh Sardana. World around us has changed and recasted in a way that is difficult to imagine. It has become more complex and for some, overwhelming. This podcast series is the result of my hunger to inspire individuals and companies to unlock growth value through the power of understanding societies and consumers. It's not the ideas, but those who make ideas work will stay ahead. So I will dig into the untold stories, and unfiltered content from people who have made these ideas work for them. Stay tuned. These are not my lines, but these are the two lines that you'll find on the social media profile of my guest today. Poetry is about structure and imagery. You have to get your message into the right rhythm, perfect rhyme scheme, and precise syllable count call it his brevity, or his ability to paint a scene in just a few words. My guest today has this innate ability to connect and resonate with his listeners. Please welcome Vineet Keki and Panchi, a poet, a storyteller, a communication consultant, a YouTuber, and a filmmaker. Vineet is currently the founder at Word of Mouth Media, which is a boutique creative agency with end-to-end digital solutions, helping brands tell their story the way it deserves to be told. Thank you, Vineet, for joining me today.
1: Thank you very much for having me on your show.
0: Let's begin this conversation by understanding a little bit about you. I think from what I know, you've had a very interesting sort of career journey. You weren't always on YouTube. I think YouTube is something that has happened more recently. So why don't you, you know, just give us a brief background and then I think we'll sort of take this discussion forward from there.
1: Ah, my background can be divided into two, the background that was corporate and the background that you're calling me here for. And the background in corporate is that I've worked up the typical ladders, reached the head of HR position, and then finally decided to quit corporate. But what I'm really excited about is the journey in the last 10 years, which is a journey through music and films and writing and corporate communications and communication design, and the latest one, which is Nazms, which are the uh, mild Indian poetry that is going around. But that's really my journey till now.
0: That's very interesting. I will talk about your Nazms in a bit. But I think what's what's very interesting for me is the first half, if I just may call that, which is actually a corporate life and then sort of, you know, from corporate life coming into communication design. And I think you also mentioned that you were in an HR team. I think you were heading HR, which meant that, I think right from the beginning, you had the opportunity to connect with people in a way that I think majority of other departments might not be able to connect. So help us understand that, you know, how did that part of your life sort of helped you in actually the latter part where you started doing a lot of communication design for people? Did you sort of develop that knack to understand people very early on?
1: Let me answer that in two parts. One is anyone who goes into HR should automatically be someone who can communicate really well. Finally, you're dealing with people. Are you dealing with humans? And uh, one needs to understand both the psychology and how is it that people really accept various things that are going to happen in the company. And the better you can communicate, more empathetically you can communicate, the more authentically you can communicate, the better you will be at your job. To answer the question, did it help me later? Yeah. I mean, anyone who can communicate authentically. Anyone who can develop a certain kind of empathy towards people will have a greater chance of succeeding in pretty much everything you do. I don't think it is just about communication. Everyone needs to communicate well. What I do today has a lot to do with the fact that I focused on authentic communication and took that as the hallmark of anything that I'm going to do, which also reflects in my work today.
0: So you mentioned about that you know now you you know do a lot of nazms so do explain what actually nazms mean for an international audience because i think nazm if i'm not wrong is a urdu word so just explain you know what actually nazms are and we'll talk more about that
1: I think without getting too technical, and I don't think it's that important to understand what Nazm form of writing in Urdu poetry means, but it basically means a simple way of writing Urdu poetry. It is free flow. It does not have too many boundaries or restrictions, which is why people who just start use that format to express themselves in Urdu poetry. That's what the Nazm is.
0: So I think you used a Urdu word here which is nazm I think there are two more Urdu words that I will use because of which I followed you on YouTube quite religiously I think your nazms have a very good connect and I think the way you pictureize and the way you comprehend some of the observations around you I think uh, and and you know also with the simplicity with which you would actually you know express them sort of you know really makes the difference and hence I think there are these two words in Urdu one is called the other which I think translates into expression, the way you express, you know, some of the things that you observe around you. And I think the second Urdu word that I've come across is goonj, which I think would translate into resonance. So the way you express actually sort of defines how deeply you would touch your audience's heart, right? Now, that's a very scientific way of describing a very artistic process. So just help me understand that when you started this journey, where did you really pick How do you express and, you know, how do you then sort of resonate with the audience, you know, that you are sort of working towards or, you know, that you have in your community?
1: So I don't think we control both. We only control what we are going to say and control how we are going to say it, which is the ada and the expression that you spoke about. Uh, We do not control if uh, people will resonate with what you're saying. You do need to, like I said earlier, Uh, If you are authentic and if your expression is something which you uh, have developed over time, the resonance will happen. Let's discuss why resonance doesn't happen. And maybe that would kind of clarify what then finally resonates with people. We started by saying, uh, you're talking to people. We are not talking to strategies. We are not talking to processes. We are not talking to robots. And when you're appealing to the heart, whether we like it or not, one can decipher the difference between authentic and unauthentic expression, the difference between authentic and unauthentic content. And most people would resonate with something that they can put their own credibility on. To me, very good sign of when people resonate is when they start to share what you're saying to share something on social media is probably the highest level at which anyone operates, you know, you're putting your own credibility when you're sharing something and saying, Hey, I'd like you to see what I have seen. Which means, you know, it is not just something that I saw. It's also something I'd like you to know that I'm happy to share. That to me is resonance. And that's what I've always, in fact, told my team to look at. If there is one metric that they should look at is, you know, whether people are sharing your content. And to me, really, so the answer is stick to your expression, stick to the authentic way of saying whatever you're going to say. Use language. And I think that is something we should also talk about how to use simpler language to say and why simplicity is more authentic than trying to complicate language and then it would resonate automatically
0: so when uh, that's very interesting because we all live in a very different world today right i mean it's a different matter to sit in a living room and strike a conversation with a group of friends who would know you really well versus sort of using language using ideas and sort of you know broadcasting that on your A social media handle or, you know, on on, on like any of the social media platforms. I would say that what I've heard from people, both young and old, that it takes a lot of courage to put something out, to broadcast something, uh, because I think one thought that is constantly bugging you is, how will people look at me? What will they think of me? Is this something which is lame on my part to even talk about it? So I think when you are communicating with a wider audience, through your social media channel, through your social media handle. Is that something that that comes to your mind? And is that something that governs your content?
1: We live in a shame-based society. What that technically means is that we're constantly concerned about how people perceive us. And we give the ability to shame us to other people. It is important to highlight that because what will people say about me literally governs how we run our life. Couple that with the fact that we also come from backgrounds where we are always trying to reach a certain elite status in society, whether in form of our language, whether in form of the perception we want to create or the, you know, positioning we want to create of ourselves in society. And that takes away who you really are. For example, even when we started this interview, we were talking about what I have done and what you've done, not about who you are or who I am. And why I bring that out is because if my stint in corporate and my current role as somebody who writes is what precedes everything that I am, then it's a challenge which is constantly going to be. So what, what are you going to do as a communicator? One, you're going to ask yourself if it's important for us to take an authentic stand, which means I am going to lower the knob which says, what will people say? People will say you know what they want to say, irrespective of whether you're doing good work or not. And you can only manage so much of what people say. But for example, if I was a brand and I had to be sold in a certain way, I I would manage that. That is why PR departments and marketing departments exist. But after a while, whoever you are, if your branding and your marketing and your PR can be closest to that and aligns with that so closely that people don't see the difference between what you do and who you are. I think that really in that zone is where the answers lie. Really, that's where I'm coming from. I've stopped giving too much attention to what will people say as a habit for example when i put out content i'm not looking at how many people liked it or commented i mean if they comment it's great if they don't comment that's fine too the fact is that i'd like to say something and i'm saying something which is legal and is authentic and as long as it works the good thing is people do recognize authentic content and they do come back and say they relate to it Uh, we also have to think of especially in cases like me The audience that we originally made the content for thinking that they would like it might not, but you would be surprised with the number of people who start to become your audience because you didn't know they existed. So authentic content of all kinds has a market. It's just that you might not know who you're making it for. So the TG might be different from what you originally thought, but you'll still have people who will align with it.
0: That's so true because I mean, now, at least in the marketing domain, what we've been discussing is the fact that gone are those days when you would push content and, you know, you would have a defined set of TG in your mind and you would say that, you know, I want a particular profile to, you know, listen to what I'm saying. I think that, that that whole sort of thinking has changed. And now I think, you know, what people are saying is you put your content, you will identify your tribe. And I think that's what sort of, you know, technology has done. You know, you put your content and I think people who like it would come, would share, would talk about it. People who don't like it would either unfollow you, unsubscribe you, and sort of not really bother following you. So I think that's a very interesting shift that has happened within this domain. But what I'm interested in here is, help us describe when was the first time you had put in a social media post, you know, that sort of, you know, went viral, sort of gave you an understanding that, hey, actually, whatever I'm putting, there is a tribe out there who's sort of liking it.
1: Just sort of describe that moment to us. Sure, sure, sure. So the story is that my daughter was to go to college a couple of years ago and uh, like every good parent uh, I was trying to prepare her to fill the right kind of forms and send the right kind of content and she's an artist herself, Uh, she paints and she sings and I was encouraging her to record something and paint something and send it to the colleges as part of her portfolio so it's easy for them to give her the right kind of courses. And in that entire conversation, I ended up saying, if you're really good at something, why don't you put it out? And why are you not sure of doing it? And she said, you know what, you're saying it, but you are good at so many things and you keep claiming to you should walk the talk. And that's how it started. So just to kind of wriggle out of that situation over the next few days, I recorded one of the poems and I put it on my social just to prove to her that I'm the right kind of dad and I'm walking the talk and I'm leading by example. I sent it out on Facebook. I sent it out to maybe 40-50 friends to say look this is what I've done and lo and behold uh, I don't know how it reached Mr. Amitabh Bachchan who's well India's biggest superstar even now and he happened to share it on his social and suddenly I had loads of comments on my profile friend requests of all kind I mean he has 30 million followers right so uh, even if he was to sneeze he would send a few my way Uh, that's how it started then The next day, I woke up to about 2,000 friend requests. And I said, there must be something wrong with the algorithm on Facebook because, I mean, how can anyone have... Yesterday, there were none and today, there are 2,000. Nevertheless, I asked the office to check what happened. And they said, look, Mr. Amitabh Bachchan had shared your post. I was again surprised because why would someone pick up, you know, a very simple poem that came from nowhere. And on inquiring, especially people who've uh, been constructive Uh, Critiques of mine He said, look, what is happening is that you're writing in the language of the people and you're writing about what matters. Typically, what happens in poetry is that we are very elitist about it. We write in the right kind of process. The right kind of rules are followed of meter and weight and rhyme and you've kind of left all that. I said, look, I don't know how to write. So I'm writing what I can and I've not been trained. And what I heard is maybe that's what exactly is working. So simple poetry, going out, talking to people in the language that they understand and speak on a daily basis is what finally worked for me. And um, I think it's now uh, popular enough. I get a lot of work based on that. So I'm sure uh, somebody's noticing.
0: Vineet, that's a very, very interesting and, and fascinating story. I think, you know, there are a lot of similarities that I find with what, you know, we do, you know, within our industry. So we come from the insights world. And I think our job is to understand consumer behavior, and then sort of synthesize all of that information, and then inform a brand, either through storytelling, or through PowerPoint decks, you know, or through, you know, visualizations in terms of, you know, how their customer is looking, how they are behaving, how they're talking about their brand, so that marketing folks can take Sort of relevant decisions regarding their action plans. I think poets are also the same. I think you would observe, you would observe people and you know, you would synthesize a lot of that information and you know, you would communicate that in very simple, easy, sort of relatable terminology so that it impacts and it hits and it reaches our heart. So that's the similarity bit. However, there is one big difference. I think folks like me who come from, you know, marketing science background, we are always in search for a eureka moment, right? Something about consumer behavior that nobody else realized, but I did, I think gives us a lot of kick versus a poet who would say that my last poem wasn't even good enough. I want to do better. So I think I've typically found poets to be very humble in my opinion, whereas I think, you know, we in, in marketing science field, you know, are always looking for that next big break, right? So there are similarities, there are very different approaches. How do you look at it? Because I think you would have come across a lot of marketing professionals. You work for brands. How do you interact with them? Because I think you have a very artistic way of approaching, whereas I think like a CMO or, or, or like a chief marketing officer just might come in with a very scientific approach. And say that this is how we have to curate or create content how do you solve those kind of conflicts
1: i've had the fortune of working with variety of cmos because we do a lot of content and i uh, on the side make films and jingles and write for advertising i know the struggles that marketing folks also go through and i think what has happened is that part of the reason that marketing folks haven't had a chance to really understand their own customers is because we still sit out of offices. And as cliched as it sounds, every marketer should first be on the field, right? And if you haven't had a lot of time that you spent with your customer, you will not get a few things at all. Having said that, The challenge of marketing today also is where to put the money. So when you do not know exactly where to put it, you put it where it seems most obvious, which is why you'd rather go after things that you've tried and tested and may or may not have worked. But at least, you know, you're safe in terms of reporting that I put my money there because I'll tell you what has changed, especially during COVID is that when everything shut, so did marketing budgets. They're coming back a little bit. But that is when a lot of marketeers were challenged to think of ways by which they could still approach their constituents. And I've seen some marketers do really well and some marketers have no clue. And the difference between those two are are the guys who said with limited budgets, I need to now stop thinking of whether I'm going to win, win creative awards. I'm going to align myself completely to the bottom line of the company and start to tell my CEO that marketing finally is aligned to the extent where I'd like to push sales that I think needs to change. I'll tell you my biggest struggle with the agencies and marketers. Whenever people come up with a great idea, especially in marketing organizations, their mind is on trying to create something creative. Whilst if you're a true marketer, to my sense, you should really be saying, is this going to help sell my product or service more? And I think that is where the critical difference still lies. Marketers pat each other on the back if they've got a lot of likes or if their content has been shared. And I think we should go a step further and say, did it help sell the product? Because if it didn't help sell the product, even if you won a few awards, it's the same fraternity acknowledging the same fraternity, patting each other. And that doesn't work for us anymore. give you an example for a very small budget. We created 10 small Nuzms for a brand called Car Deco in India, out of which four Nuzms went viral. Now, to be able to get anything viral, people put so much money behind it. I mean, it's not crazy. And even then, you don't have organic viral ability. You have money being put, which is why you have millions of views. And everyone puts money behind content. And here is, you know, this chap, Gaurav, who said, this is when people really need hope. Instead of worrying about trying to sell cars at this time, I would, from the brand, just send the message out that you shouldn't worry, COVID is okay, but we'll figure out a way to come out. And that, I think, is great marketing because suddenly the brand is something that everyone recognizes. Not just here, but I think they're, I don't know if it impacted their bottom line immediately, but it definitely impacted their brand. So if they were to go and do an IPO right now, a lot of people would suddenly know car deko. So, you know, I think that's where aligning yourself completely to the bottom line should come for marketers.
0: You've made a very interesting observation there. I think you spoke about that now we have uh, so many choices, right? Where to market our brand, you know, there are multiple platforms on which you can go and sort of invest and start broadcasting about your message, your story. But what I find very unique about you, beneath here is there are three things in marketing. You know, there is a medium, there is a message, and then there is a messenger. While I think the whole marketing fraternity is too much focused on what kind of message should we put out there and on what kind of medium we should be on, I just find that if you invest in the messenger, I think the other two things are sort of insignificant because I mean, like you said, that if it's an authentic conversation, if it's an authentic content, getting delivered by messenger in the way that it touches people's hearts Then medium and message, though they are relevant, but it will not become very significant in terms of, you know, marketing plan. Do you ever look at yourself as a messenger and uh, do you sort of, you know, worry less about the medium and the message? Or you are very holistic when you are planning your creative content?
1: No, I think we'll have to take it case by case. But just from 10,000 feet, I think that all three are still important. The message is important because that's where content originates from. Media is important because irrespective of, you know, who the messenger is, it still needs to go through that. And the messenger is important, but uh, we'll have to take it with a pinch of salt. I'll give you an example. For example, if I was to write a poem and the media being the same across, if it was read by anyone else, you know, with the same screen presence and the same delivery, which is hundreds and hundreds of people in India, an actor could have done it. I think the message would have still gone. So what am I trying to say? I think it's a mix of we do need to focus on the message and the authenticity of the message. The content definitely needs to be grounded well in what you're trying to say. Two, we can't really figure out which media to use anymore. For example, what we do is we put it everywhere. And sometimes the predictability of which one will work does not matter. Another case in point is a lot of people tell me, you know, you should really publicize your YouTube channel instead of putting it on WhatsApp because you can't measure WhatsApp. Now the problem is WhatsApp is so much more effective just because we can't measure it and because measurement is what will fill our Excel sheets and our PowerPoints doesn't mean it's not effective. It just means that we are avoiding a media uh, because we have nothing to report. Now, Anecdotally, you could tell your boss that it's been circulating. I've received it from five groups. But because you really can't put a number and prove that it happened, you'd rather go with something which is not effective. That I think is something that uh, people need to sit together and say, hey, are we trying to make sure that the metric and the dashboard is right? Or are we really trying to be effective? On the messenger, I think it's important that, for example, what works for me is because I write the content and I deliver it. There is no kind of loss of signal between the two. But it could have been done by anyone else. So I think all three, the message, the messenger and the media play a critical role. And I would say each of those still need to be uh, looked at.
0: Okay, Vinny, in like last six odd months, we've seen that you've released a lot of videos. And I think we know that especially during COVID, I think video content has exploded. I mean, it was already exploding, but now I think it is at a scale which is even unimaginable. You, I think, have sort of, you know, really mastered the art of standing in front of a camera, which I think most of the business leaders now will have to do. I mean, right now, even we are sort of having this conversation, you know, through through a webcam. Help me understand, what is your take on the future of video content? Do you think that people will have to get trained you know, if they have to sort of look better in front of camera, because it's not everybody's cup of tea. The angles matter, how you speak matters, lighting matters. And I don't think that businesses are yet thinking in that direction. They will still rely on different production agencies, creative agencies to build their content. So how do you see this whole trajectory? Do you see that's going to change? Is that going to be in demand in next five years? What's your take?
1: so like we learned powerpoint presentations 25 years ago we'll all have to learn to use the camera and write for the camera and deliver on camera there's no choice in fact we haven't had that choice for the last almost six seven years it's just that we haven't kind of woken up to that fact leaders who have become more camera friendly are more available to their people because not everyone is at the same place so literally a no-brainer now mba schools need to put that in their curriculum and A corporate needs to put that as part of their training programs for young leaders and for middle management to And leaders at the top definitely need to have this skill. There's no choice. So that's really the answer. I mean, everyone needs it now.
0: So help us understand, how is it different? I mean, I think you used a very interesting phrase, write for camera, deliver for camera. I mean, how Hmm. do you do that? What is the difference? Why can't I just write and stand in front of a camera and deliver? What's so so unique about
1: that? So the critical difference is that when you're growing up in corporate or anywhere else as a leader, you're taught to address people who are probably in front of you. Addressing an audience in front of you has very different dynamics. We've mastered it. If you are a leader and you've been in corporate for some time, you would have had an opportunity to address people, smaller groups, larger groups, town halls, large annual meetings, whatever. Uh, so you get used to a certain format. You can look at people. We were taught to there are multiple people in a room, look left, look right, try and look into the eyes of people, scan the room, those kind of things. And those have become inherent to us. Similarly, when you're going to now deliver your message on camera, you need to be sure about the fact that you are not going to get feedback from the audience and you have to presume that the audience exists and they're going to listen to you. Live audience you can get away with a lot of things here, people can replay it and they can go back to a certain second and say, this is where the person went wrong. So you've got to be more cautious. You've got to understand that when you, even the best of us, when we look into the camera and start talking, we feel a little nervous. We're not trained for it. It requires a certain setting because A is going to be populated everywhere. It's not like people are going to watch and go away. So inherently, being on camera is a little bit of a show, which means you'll have to write properly, you'll have to dress properly, uh, you'll have to deliver properly, you'll have to edit properly, the lighting in the room has to be right, the background has to be right. Quite a few things can be answered by technology. For example, most people who are on video conference calls these days have a background that they can choose and technology has started to do it for you. However, what technology can't help you In is how do you structure communication, which means the content, the way you're going to deliver it, the language you're going to use, how fast are you going to be? Are you empathetic in how you're writing is still something that everyone needs to understand, especially now because you're not getting feedback from the audience. So, yes, there is a lot of training required for everyone to be on camera.
0: That's interesting because I think not many people know, but like almost 14 years back, I accidentally got into a reality show at that time on a newly formed channel called UTV Bindas. It was a reality show where they had sort of, you know, selected a bunch of us from different cities and, you know, we were taken to Bombay and it was Roshan and Abbas's company you know, who was actually managing the production, right? So he was there, you know, to sort of train us. And I think what we learned back then, I mean, almost 15 years back that the more you love camera, the camera will reciprocate, right? So help us sort of describe that moment when you stood in front of camera for the first time. How was that experience? And if you remember any of that moment, and you know, how how have you evolved since then?
1: So I will not still say that I'm very camera friendly. I still miss a beat before uh, starting any new recording. But if you can break it down into a process, it does help immensely. For example, little things like a teleprompter will help you not try and remember everything, but deliver what you've written rather than trying to prove that you can remember. It's not a memory game anymore. It's really about what you want to say. One should use that. To me, I'm still learning every day. So whilst I myself run a course now, and I'm hand-holding other people to be more friendly to the camera, are there things that you learn every day? The first time my friend went in front of the camera wasn't actually too long ago. And every day from then, I've been picking up new skills and putting them together. And hopefully, over time, I'll be able to relay them back to people in a workshop.
0: How do you plan to sort of, you know, deliver that training during COVID? Because I think a lot of physical interaction might not be possible. So, I mean, how are you planning to train people Using, you know, digital channels around.
1: Exactly how we're doing it now. I mean, uh, everything is possible on. If we can communicate on camera, I'm sure we can communicate the skills on camera too. But on a more serious note, I think there are three or four different classes to which we are delivering. One is very senior leaders. Some of them don't even want to let people know that they've been trained. So that's a very one-to-one still on camera. We are trying to do workshops between, you know, eight to ten people in a workshop over a couple of weeks. When we give them assignments, they come back and you know, we see skill improvement in terms of delivering on camera. And then we are also trying to do online courses, which people can buy for twenty dollars, quesera kind of you know courses. Coursera kind of courses.
0: Vineet, I think in our conversation, so I think we will come to like one of your nazms. I think we'll we will not let you go without you sort of reciting a few nazms for us and our audiences. But I think before I sort of get to that, because I think that will be a good closure to our discussion, you've used the word empathy in this discussion. And I think that's this is one term that gets used within marketing circles quite frequently and quite widely. Everybody's talking about customer empathy. While I think, you know, it's a fashionable term, very few people I've seen who have really internalized what empathy sort of might mean because it's an intangible emotion, right? It can only be articulated, it can only be expressed, or, or it can only be displayed. When you are in a conversation, because you're a poet, and I think you have a good knack for synthesizing, how would you explain empathy? Because I think that's going to really help the actually all the listeners on the show to understand that, you know, what this empathy means and how can you build it? Is it an emotion that can be practiced? Can you develop empathy? Or is this something that you're born with and either you have it or you don't have it? So just help us explain that a little bit more, more from a poet's standpoint.
1: Well, I can say it from my standpoint, which will be both the poet and somebody who's exposed to marketing. I would link it back to basic family values. I don't think empathy is any different. It's just that when we are in offices, we tend to think that what we feel at home is supposed to be different from what we feel at office. I think if you could look at your customer as family, if you could look at their success as yours, and I use the term authenticity way more than I use the term empathy. I think authentic Kindness and not a displayed kindness to me is empathy. And kindness is a universal value. It's not something that one needs to be taught. When you practice kindness, when you start thinking of other people, when you start to think of other people's success, including success that they will have through your products, we are way more empathetic. I think the struggle we have sometimes as marketeers is when we know that our product is not going to really make someone successful. Uh, yet we keep pushing it. That is where I think we have a real loss of authenticity. Otherwise, if you know and if you believe in your product, it's very simple. It's easy for us to go and tell our customers exactly what they can expect and be very authentic about it. So to me, empathy is exactly what would you you would have done with your siblings. You care for them. You care for your customers. You will stand by your siblings. You will stand by your customers. You're going to tell your siblings exactly what you're offering and you're going to tell your customers exactly what you're offering. You can do it in creative ways. But the bedrock of that is that you care, that, you, that you're kind to your customers. That's where uh, empathy for me comes.
0: That's a very lovely way to, you know, sort of what empathy means. Okay, so I think uh, we've sort of, you know, reached right at the end of this discussion. So two requests that I have. One, which even Amitabh Bachchan liked. So if you remember you know, that, that Nazm, I think that'll be very good. And even if it's in Hindi, I think that's all right. Because I think that's what, and I think we can then translate that and you know summarize this in English for our English audiences. And I would want to hear another Nazm that you personally is your personal favorite. So one is what Mr. Bachchan liked, and one is what is Vineet's favorite.
1: Sure, both, of, both, both are um, in Hindustani. So I'm not sure what your audience is, but let's do it one by one. So I'm going to um, do safed Kamize, which is actually the first one, probably the second one. I wrote the one that Mr. Bachan liked and shared. And here it goes, Malayza Farmayi. Malayza Farmaya means well, take pleasure off. So you could say Hishad. Hishad. Upar se nicheta Kalmari me bari hai. Upar se nijetha kalmari me bari hai teen safed che heli teen pink dohari hai. ऊपर से नीचे तक अलमारी में भरी हैं तीन सफेद छह नीली तीन पिंक दो हरी हैं पर सेल लगी थी तो हम दो कमीजें और उठा लाए पहनने ना पहने देखने में तो खरी हैं ऊपर से नीचे तक अलमारी में भरी हैं वैसे भी वैसे भी आजकल कमीजें कहां फटती हैं कब उधरती हैं कभी दशहरे पर दो मिलाकर थी सारा साल पहनते थे आजकल सरेआम रोज मिला करती है आजकल कमीजें कहां फटती हैं कब हैं पर पर कमीजों की तरह दोस्तों का भी चला पर कमीजوں की तरह अब दोस्तों का भी हाल हो चला है तीन चार बेस्ट फ्रेंड हुआ करते थे कभी अब तो फेसबुक पे एक के बाद एक नया सिलसिला है कमीजوں की तरह अब दोस्तों का भी हाल हो चला है हां कभी सोचते हैं हां कभी सोचते हैं तीन सफेद वाली रख बाकी सब कमीजें लौटा दी जाए कभी सोचते हैं तीन सफेद वाली रख के बाकी सब कमीजें लौटा दी जाए पर पिंक वाली पार्टी में बहुत अच्छी लगती है और ग्रीन वाली फॉर्म पैंट के साथ कि किससे किसका मैच कराएं कौन सी रखें कौन सी लौटाएं कौन सी बाटे कौन सी बचाएं कभी सोचते हैं तीन सफेद वाली रख के बाकी सब कमीजें लौटा दी जाए या चलो छोड़ो या चलो छोड़ो भरी रहने दो अलमारी कम से कम खोलो तो लगता है कमी कोई नहीं होनी चाहिए इंसान के पास हर किस्म की कमीज होनी चाहिए पर कमाल है ना देखिए ना पर साहब देखिए ना दिल साला पे आता है then why do we need to use every kind of kameez? Then why do we need to use every kind of Do hoon, achi hoon, safayd hoon, dosto me dosto, dosti ki tamiz honi chahiye. Do hoon, achhe hoon, safayd hoon, dosto me dosto, dosti ki tamiz honi chahiye. Thank you. I don't know if your audience will get it, but <laughs> that was Safed safayd kameez, the white shirt.
0: That's a sort of lovely poem, I think, where you have sort of spoken about basically the wardrobe that anybody would have and the constant conflict of which one should I pick and which one should I choose. and But I think you've very beautifully equated that to friendships as well. So what was your inspiration here? I mean, you you started writing this, you know, keeping your friends in mind? Or it was just the thought that came and you thought that, you know, I have to pen it down?
1: I was with a friend who um, had a medical emergency and I was attending to him. And whilst he was in bed uh, recovering, I started to look at Facebook and I realized... That if I had an emergency like that, I would probably have two people that I can call out of the many thousands on my Facebook. And that's where it came from. Uh, the thought wow. um, was, you know, who do you really reach out to when you need friends? And that's that's what I call white shirt as a way comes.
0: Excellent. I mean, I think, I think the message is very clear, you know, quality over quantity. <laughs> and I think that's very relevant in these times. That's excellent. Waiting for the next one.
1: I think the next one, rather than reading a Nazma, I'll read a translation I did of Rudyard Kipling's If. Part yep. of what we've been trying to do here is to get good poetry to reach people who do not understand the Queen's language, which is a mm-hmm. lot of people in India, and especially the schools in our area. This A lot of people would have read this. It's if by Rudyard Kipling, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it to you, it goes mm-hmm. that... तुम खुद को घर संभाल सको जब सब खराब होने लगे हर जुर्म तुम्हारे सर करके हर एक बेताब होने लगे जब कोई ना तुम पर यकीन करे बस खुद पर यकीन तुम्हारा हो और ना यकीन करने वाला भी तुम को रोज गवारा हो जब इंतजार करना पड़े जब इंतजार करना पड़े तुम इंतजार से थको नहीं जब झूठ तुम्हारे बारे हो पर झूठ तुम कभी बकूं नहीं जब नफरत तुमसे की जाए पर तुम नफरत से दूर रहो ना बड़ा चलन ना बड़ी तुम करने को मजबूर रहो जब ख्वाब देखकर तुम अपने ख्वाबों की गुलामी छोड़ सको हर सोच को अपनी जब चाहे जिस दिशा में चाहे मोड़ सको जब समझ सको कि हार और जी दोनों फरेब हैं झूठे हैं जब हार और जी तुम्हारे दिल से जाने कब से छूटे हैं जब समझ सको सच को लेकर कुछ भी ये लोग बना देंगे सच की तारों को उलझाकर एक नया जाल बिछा देंगे जिन पर एक उम्र गुज़ारी थी हर चीज़ अगर वो टूटी हो उनको फिर से बनाने की वो सोच न तुमसे छूटी हो जो कुछ जीता है आज तक एक दांव पे अगर तुम हार सको शुरुआत से फिर से खेल सको जो जीता हार पे वार सको जब टूट चुके हो अंदर से पर कदम तुम्हारे रुके नहीं आवाज अगर ये हो हम थके हैं पर हम झुके नहीं जब भीड़ में रहकर खास और खासों में तुम आम रहो ना यारों से ही चोट लगे ना दुश्मन से आसान हो हर शय जब शुमार ना हो हर शय जब शुमार ना हो गिनती से इतना प्यार ना हो हर पल हर लम्हा चल पा हो एक मिनट से जब बेकार ना हो अब सुन आदम के बेटे लास्ट में रेडियार साहब कहते हैं अब सुन आदम के बेटे आदम को अब सुन आदम के बेटे आदम को ना देरी होगी दुनिया की हर्ष क्या है दुनिया भी अब चाहे तो तेरी होगी And I'd like to reference uh, the last few lines that says, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving moment with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Wow. I
0: think those are very deep lines. It's 7 p.m. here in Singapore. I would say that I've started my weekend with those lines. You've just set the stage for me to sort of, you know, now unwind. Have a drink, and have then, a good drink,
1: then, uh, have a good weekend, I guess.
0: <laughs> you too, Vinith. I think it was lovely speaking to you. It was lovely mm-hmm. having you on this show. Thank and I think, um, you know, Thank some you. of the insights that you shared, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I think listeners out there who are listening to this will find all of it very, very useful. Thank you again mm-hmm.
1: for doing this for us. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I wish you all the best and the listeners all the best. Keep smiling.
0: Thanks, Vinith. You've been listening to Recast with me, Saurabh Sardana. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode in next two weeks. Also, if you want to chat with me, connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter.